millions of Christians face intense persecution and risk their lives for the sake of the gospel. Vom Oz Radio supports persecuted Christians, giving a voice to the testimony of those who have been denied a voice. Our programs inform and encourage Christians in Australia and around the world to mobilize and to stand with our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to Vom Oz Radio, Voice for the Persecuted. Welcome again to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. My name is Todd Nettleton, and we are in our studio today with Todd Lafferty. He is the Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer for the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. Todd, welcome to Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Thank you, Todd. It's great to be in the studio with another Todd. <laughs> it's going to confuse and, uh, me. I'm, I feel like I'm talking to myself today. Tell me a little bit, Todd, about your call to missions and how God said, hey, I want you to get on a plane. I want you to go live in another culture. I want you to be a lighthouse for me. Todd, I became a believer playing football in college in, in Yuma, Arizona. The Lord had to take me to a hot desert to get my attention. <laughs> and my roommate was a believer. And one night he said, uh, hey, do you mind if I read my Bible? And I said, well, I don't care if you read your Bible. I had no interest in reading the Bible at the time. But he started reading it out loud, and he started reading it out loud every night. And we would get into conversations about God and Christ. And I'd grown up going to church, but just had really fallen away. And after about a month, I was in a Bible study with some navigators on campus and uh, realized now it was an evangelistic Bible study, and I was their focus. (laughs) And so uh, I clearly understood the gospel for the first time. And so knelt down by my dorm room bed and gave my life to Christ. And my life was never the same since then. I went to University of New Mexico, played my last two seasons, got involved with crew while there. And they began discipling me and began casting vision for the nations. Every week we would hear stories about some people group somewhere in the world. And we were praying for them. And I'd never heard of these people groups before. And I was involved at Hoppentown Baptist Church. I had a a South African pastor who talked about missions all the time. And so toward the end of my years at New Mexico, I was thinking, Lord, I just want to go overseas and do something for a couple years and kind of get it out of my system before I, you know, come back and get involved in the corporate world. So I applied and went to uh, Aberdeen, Scotland as a journeyman, a two-year assignment through the International Mission Board. And I served there in Aberdeen working with uh, high school kids and college kids and gang kids, uh, the mods, the skinheads, the soccer casuals, the, the punks, the, the uh, pink ladies. And uh, we would be out on the streets just sharing the gospel with them at night. There were hundreds of kids on the streets in Aberdeen in those days just lost and looking for something. And so we were trying to share the gospel with them. And the second winter I was there, I was asked to go up north to Allness, a little Baptist church up there. The pastor was in London, started preaching there. But one night I was out with one of the elders in the church, and we went to visit this little old man that lived in a hovel of a place. He was an atheist. He was having nothing of God. And uh, Todd, that night I was driving home in a snowstorm. And in the middle of that snowstorm, the Lord said, this is what I want you to do with your life. Go tell people about me who are living in darkness like that little old man. So I came back to Southwestern Seminary and met my wife there. We married, and a few years later, we began praying, Lord, where in the world 
do you want us to go? So you didn't get it out of your system in two years. No. <laughs> in fact, uh, 29 years later, it was still in my system. Uh, as we transition from uh, role to role throughout the International Mission Board and around the world. So what was your first long-term overseas posting? We prayed uh, that prayer, Lord, where in the world do you want us to go? After the wall fell in Eastern Europe, we felt like the Lord was leading us there. I would often hear stories from missionaries who had gone behind the Iron Curtain when I was in Aberdeen and they would come back telling these amazing stories of what God was doing, and I felt like that's where I want to go someday. And every time we would call the IMB and ask, is that job open or is that job open, the door closed on it every time. And about the same time, we began hearing about the challenge of the Muslim world. And so we prayed, Lord, where in the world do you want us to go? And two days later, we went to an information conference at Southwestern, and a man was talking about the needs in Pakistan. Uh, specifically Karachi. And so we had seen that request and we had kind of passed it by. It's when the Soviets were still fighting the Afghans and uh, it was a mess. There were just millions of Afghans flooding across the border. And after a couple of weeks, we felt like, yes, that's where we were supposed to go. So Pakistan was our first overseas assignment. And was that your first sort of interaction with Muslims in that environment? Or had you had some experience? I know there's a lot of Muslims in the UK. Had you had some experience there? Or? That is the first time I met a Muslim was in Glasgow. I was down working with uh, an OM team in Glasgow in the summer. And we were out sharing the gospel on the streets. And we came to this bookstore, an Islamic bookstore. We walked in and the books were How to Evangelize Christians. <laughs> and I was shocked. I had never seen that before in my life. And so we got to talk to the bookstore owner. I'd, that was the first Muslim I'd ever met in my life. Didn't know anything they believed. And so that began my education. And my heart really began to focus toward the Muslim world at that time. So you pack up and go to Pakistan with your wife and four-month-old daughter. What kind of culture shock did you run into settling in South Asia, settling in a humongous city, uh, settling into a Muslim culture? What was that transition like? I would call it a combination of culture shock and spiritual warfare all tied up together. You know, Pakistan is an intense Muslim environment. When we entered, the day we entered, Nawaz Sharif was prime minister at the time, he called on Operation Cleanup because they were fighting an insurgency with the Mahajirs, which is the term for refugee, which is the term they used for the Muslims who moved from India at partition, which was 50 years previous to that time. They were still called refugees. And the leader of the uh, Mahajir Kami movement said, sell your TVs and buy guns. And so they had literally dug trenches across roads and set up machine guns. The government began setting up pillboxes and all the roundabouts in the city. Oh, my. Where we went grocery shopping, there was a tank sitting in the middle of the roundabout. <laughs> so I thought, where have we come? And so uh, there was that side of the intensity. Then there was just the darkness the, of that. And then there was the constant electricity going out, water running out, uh, those kinds of things. When, you, when you're coming out of the West, you're used to those kind of things or just, you know, you turn on a switch, you open a faucet, things happen. And in Pakistan, that wasn't necessarily the case. So the combination of 
the Islamic oppression, the um, just this spirit of warfare that was in the city, a lot of death every day. There would be like the death count in the, the newspaper, how many people had died the day before. And just the sense of, I would pray, Lord, just give me 24 hours without something breaking down in our house. <laughs> I mean, we'd moved into a new house, so we found out the pipes weren't connected in the bathroom. So, I mean, we opened up the wall and there's two pipes, you know, oh two inches apart. Uh, the, the wiring hadn't been wired correctly. So it was just, you know, one thing after another. It, after a while, my wife said, are you going to get over your culture shock so I can have mine? Because we were afraid if we had it on the same day, our bags were packed, we wouldn't be there anymore. <laughs> I was going to ask, how many days were there where you said, listen, I'm going home. This is too hard. Every time I saw an airplane flying overhead, <laughs> I said, Lord, <laughs> shouldn't I be on that plane? <laughs> so uh, what did God do in the midst of that to say, no, this is where I have you. This is where I want you. I, I'm what you need. I'm all you need. Uh, you know, I think it's just the constant abiding in Christ. That That's where it begins. And as I, you know, had opportunity to lead teams later, I would always focus on that first. All of it begins with abiding. If we're not in the vine, we can do nothing, literally. So it begins there, but then it also begins by developing those national partner friendships, relationships, and partnership relationships where we're working together in the fields. So I think developing those close uh, friends help you to integrate into the community, become a part of the community. You feel like you're there and you have a network of friends. I mean, you have foreign friends, yes, but the people who glue you into that community are those that uh, are going to stay there. They're not going anywhere. How long of a process was that? Uh, a few years. Yeah. It really felt like, I mean, coming out of our first term, we were ready to come back. But there were times in that first term where we weren't sure we were coming back. Yeah. So it was a difficult transition, but we both got there. We both wanted to come back. You know, toward the end of our first term, uh, Americans had been gunned down on the streets for the first time. So it had gone beyond just a battle between government forces and the, the Mahajers. It had begin to be focused on Americans. You know, it wasn't persecution per se, but if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time because you're there witnessing for Christ, then uh, there were days, you know, after the second time that happened in our second term, uh, you begin to wonder, is the next bullet coming through my window? And there was a, a period of time where I lived with a certain amount of fear, and I just had to come to the point and say, you know, if I die here, it's because I'm I'm here serving Christ, and uh, I want to be buried in that dirt graveyard where uh, that blood will call out for someone else to come take my place. And that's that's the point we came to uh, living there in Karachi. Is that it became home? Two of our two more of our kids were born there in Karachi. So you know we just kind of put down our roots mm -hmm. in that place, and and it became home. Yeah. We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Todd Lafferty. He's the executive vice president and COO of the International Mission Board. How did you work through that fear? Because you said there was a time where you're wondering, is, is, am I going to die here? How, how did you do it, and how long of a process was it? 
Uh, it was several months, um, but I, I think coming to the point where uh, you can say, you know, I, it's it's better to better live as Christ and die as gain. Galatians two twenty. I've been crucified with Christ. It's not I who live, but Christ lives in me. This life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself up for me. And I think just going and laying your life down and say, Lord, my life is not my own. It's yours. If you want me to live, I'll live. And if not, I won't. And we would often tell people, you know, the the being in God's will is not the safest place to be, but it's the best place to be. Yeah. And that's where we came to. Is this is the best place to be. If this is where the Lord wants us, okay, it's not the safest place to be. I can find a whole lot safer places to live, but it is by far the best place to, to be, to live your life in that place where God has you at that time in your life. It's what you need and, and where he wants you. One of the things we try to do, Todd, is is equip our listeners to pray. And we'll talk some more about this towards the end of our conversation. But, I, but I'm thinking particularly of the first-term missionaries who are out in the field right now, and they're looking up at their airplane and saying, God, I really should be on that airplane because I don't belong here. I belong in America. How do we pray for those missionaries who are who are there right now, they're going through that sort of internal conversation. Pray that they would keep abiding in Christ daily. When we're in that stressful situation, we can lose our disciplines that sustain us. And I think keeping that discipline and sustaining that day in and day out, even when you don't feel like it, even when it's hard, even when it feels dry as a bone, you keep going to that source because that is the sustenance that we need whether it feels like it or not, we live by faith, and we, we keep trusting that he's going to speak through his word and through prayer. Uh, and then pray, pray that they would have good national friendships, good national partners to, to do life together and to do work together. Uh, we can't do it on our own. I often tell our folks, you know, there is no way there will be enough foreigners to reach this country and these people. Never. We have to multiply ourselves into our national partners because they're the ones that are going to reach their countries in the end. And so we would pray, Lord, please raise up friendships and national partners and pray that they would have a a strong network of people praying for them. Uh, We always encourage folks, hey, develop that prayer network as wide as possible and have different levels. Have those people that you can you know, you put it up in seconds and you know they're going to get it. They're going to start praying. You know, you have your weekly, your monthly prayer group that they're going to pray for you on a consistent basis, but they're not watching, you know, that daily prayer come through. So have people that are praying for you at different levels of prayer. So those are some of the things that, uh, you know, just recognizing that people do go through culture shock. I think sometimes missionaries deny that they're in the middle of culture shock when they're in it. And once you've been through it and you see it in someone else, say, okay, yeah, sure you're not in culture shock. But uh, man, you're in culture shock. Praying that missionaries would recognize that in themselves and ask for help. I remember we went to our first orientation time after being on the field for about six months. And this is in the, the deep, dark depression part of it. And we were meeting in small prayer groups with men and women separate. And I just shared my heart. I said, look, guys, I, I'm struggling. I don't want to be here. It's hard. Uh, this is an oppressive place. And uh, would, 
would you just pray for me that I would get through this? And our teacher that week was Jerry Rankin, who used to be the president of the IMB. He was our regional leader at the time. And he he taught all week on spiritual warfare. And my eyes began to open and say, okay, this is what's happening. We are in some intense warfare here. And I've I've got to learn to pray like I'm in the battlefield and that that this is an intense battle that we're in and we've got to put on our armor every day because the enemy's coming at us. He doesn't want us there. He wants us out of there. And so we we began to to pray those kinds of prayers and ask the Lord to walk with us through through that time in our lives. I would encourage our listeners, if I suspect if you're a regular listener to VOM Radio that you know some missionaries or you are supporting some missionaries, send them an email or send them a text message or, or post on their Facebook page today that you are praying for them. Just send them that little piece of encouragement. You never know. They may really, really need that this week, this moment, right now. So Pray for the missionaries that you're supporting and let them know that you're praying for them. Uh, Todd Lafferty, the executive vice president of the International Mission Board, how long were you in Pakistan before you began to face not just, hey, we're Americans, we could be targeted, but we are Christians, either you personally or or within the church, within the work there? How soon did you face real-life persecution? Uh, It was in our second term. We uh, hosted a group of, of leaders in the city that were seeking to reach the city. And I don't know how this happened, but they knew we were meeting this Islamic group. We got an answer on our answer machine, a message that said, We know you are there and we're going to kill you. Wow. And it was an evil sounding message that made the hair on the back of your neck stand up. And what got me was this group is meeting at my house. And how do they have my phone number? Well, uh, later on, we appeared in Tuckbeer Magazine, which is an Islamic magazine that fosters terrorism and persecution. And my name was there. My address was there. And things I had said in private meetings were quoted. Wow. So we had someone who had infiltrated our group. And we thought these are good brothers, they're believers, we're sharing openly, and uh, we never did figure out how that happened, uh, who it was. So how did that change your ministry approach, or did it change your ministry approach? It didn't. We continued on. You know, again, we'd laid down our lives, and this is where the Lord wanted us, and we needed to continue to push forward. Eventually, we started networking with all the churches in the city across denominations, and we began having a quarterly prayer meeting downtown in one of the big churches downtown uh, in Karachi. And so uh, just gathering with, you know, a few hundred believers and just crying out for our city. Uh, Eventually, we had a peace march in the city. That was back in the day of the old Jesus marches that uh, I think OM and some other people had done. We called ours a peace march because of the turmoil in the city. So uh, started from the uh, church and went to the governor's house. And we're, it was at Christmas time, so we're passing out leaflets about the birth of Christ. And 10,000 leaflets were passed out on this peace march as we're in the city. So we, we wanted to continue uh, just pushing that edge uh, 
Some of the national partners we engaged with are just some of the most unique people in the world. Uh, one was Dr. Imtiaz, a medical doctor, but also a Sufi leader in northern Pakistan, and it turns out an assassin. He was hired to go assassinate a political leader across the border in Afghanistan. He took one of his wives with him. They were caught by this opposing group, and they lined them up and were going to shoot them. And his one of, it was one of his wives. His wife came to him and said, when I was so sick and I was dying in that Christian hospital, they came to me and said, we can't do anything for you but we can pray for you. And so they prayed for me and I was healed. And I believed in Jesus during that time. And I've been afraid to tell you because I thought you would kill me. But right now, you're about to die. And I want to tell you that you need to call out on the name of Jesus. And he said, what? I'm a Muslim. I'm not calling out on the name of Jesus. Well, they shot the first two guys. They shot him. He went down. But as he did, he called out on the name of Jesus to save him. Well, he was unconscious for a couple of days. He comes back, revives. They go back to their home village. It's already come in the newspaper that this group has been killed. And so they're having a third day of mourning in his home. For him. For him. And he walks into the home, and they're in shock. Say, what? And he tells the story and how he has given his life to Christ through the witness of his wife. Well, that didn't last long. They ran him out of town. They didn't want anything to do with him. Wow. And so he comes down to Karachi. A Catholic priest meets him and connects him to the head of the Evangelical Literature Service, a little tiny bookstore in downtown Karachi. And he meets Herman. And so Herman calls me and says, Todd, you've got to come and meet Dr. Imtiaz. So I went and met Dr. Imtiaz downtown. He opens his shirt and shows me the wounds in his chest from the bullets. And uh, we began to work with Dr. Imtiaz. We got him set up in a medical practice. The Church of Pakistan had a piece of property on the outside of the city they weren't using. They had a wall built around it, a little building on it, and they said, you can start a clinic here. And he did. He started a clinic. He started reaching out. He began reaching uh, mulvies in the city, other Muslims coming to faith in Christ. The night before I left on our second uh, term, which we didn't know would be our last in Pakistan at the time, he came and said, Todd, I want to share some songs with you that the Lord's been giving me. And he sang these beautiful Urdu songs to us on the last night we were in the city, uh, praising his name. And uh, these are some of the people we got to work uh -huh. with that make you feel a part of that community. Todd Lafferty from the International Mission Board has been telling us how he and his family dealt with fear and discouragement while serving as missionaries in Pakistan. Todd and Susan Lafferty continue to serve as missionaries. Today they're still serving. They're investing in others who are serving on the front lines in missions. We're going to pick this conversation back up next week. Todd's going to share about his travels, visiting missionaries, and his observations about mission work today. I know you'll be encouraged by that. I know you'll be equipped to pray for the missionaries that you support. So please be back with us next week right here on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. 
Christians in hostile nations may live far from us. As believers, we know that we are one with them and part of the body of Christ. As such, we can't ignore their suffering. If the Holy Spirit is impressing you to know more and support the work of Voice of the Martyrs, please visit our website at vom.com.au. All donations of $2 and more are tax deductible in Australia. This has been a production of Vom Oz Radio, Voice for the Persecuted.